Hello everybody and welcome back to We've Got Mail. Yeah. <laughs> there it is. This is the podcast where you control the conversation right here. Right here. The critically acclaimed network. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I too am a critic. For purposes of this particular podcast, you may call me Rockmeister McCool. That's right. And uh, on this particular podcast, you, yes you, or people very much like you. Or you, the one sitting next to you. Basically anyone listening, or not, can email us. <laughs> if you're not listening, you can email us. You can still email us. Anyone can email us. Our email address is letters at criticallyclaimed.net. There's no bravado like false bravado, isn't there? <laughs> anyway, you can, you can email us. Letters at criticallyclaimed.net is our email address. I can only keep that level of confidence mm. up for like a minute. Um, yeah. And uh, you can ask us questions. You can critique our critiques. You can uh, uh, pry at our brains with crowbars of the mind. Mm -hmm. uh, you can ask us silly questions. You can ask us serious questions. You can talk about film criticism, uh, entertainment history, or just whatever you would like us to speak upon. Mm -hmm. uh, that's what we do. We podcast and we talk about movies and mm -hmm. sometimes TV because we love those things. Uh, and we don't like dilly-dallying right up at the front of the podcast. So without further uh, thingy. Adio. Adieu. Sure. It's not, it's it's a do, by the way. As in much ado, A-D-O. It's not A-D-I-E-U. Yeah, I, heard, I saw someone use it's that. It's the French word for farewell. Yeah, I saw someone refer to it as, you know, without further adieu. And it's, I'm like, it's, no. It's no, it's a do. word. As yeah. in without doing anything more. Without yeah. further doings. Yeah. Doings will no longer transpire. Instead, yeah. we will answer no, these no letters. No more ado. Anyway, uh, here's yeah. some letters. Let's just get started here. Ah, why uh, do we record these podcasts so late? We're so, <laughs> we're so groggy. We just, uh, we just need to start to, you know, mainlining tea. Yeah. Uh, here's a letter from Cecil. Hi, Hi Cecil. Cecil. Um, hi, Bibbs and Rockmeister McCool. Rain Man is a terrible, terrible, terrible movie. All right. <laughs> I haven't seen Rain Man. I haven't seen it in many it's, years. It's a, it's a hole in my, my film education. Uh, I think it might be because whenever anybody depicts a character with autism, mm. they, ex uh, they exclusively, for 100% of the research, just watch the movie Rain Man. Uh, music is garbage, for example. Uh, did you see music? I did not see music. Yeah, I, I just heard horrible things about music. That's the, the Saya-directed film. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to autism, I can't think of any movie that does it well. The only purposefully autistic character I can think of that works well is Julia from Sesame Street. Hmm. She is kind and is just a kid and has friends and all is good. The fact that the one good artistic character is in a show which partnered with Autism Speaks, a terrible charity run by idiots, is annoying. The context sucks, but the character is good and clearly they did more than just watch Rain Man. Uh, Star Trek has great accidentally autistic characters. Uh, these characters are the uh, the creators and the actors said we didn't intend them to be read that way, but we love that people get that from them. The characters like Data, mm. Spock, Lieutenant Barkley, and uh, the character who has my type of autism from Star Trek Discovery, uh, Ensign Tilly. Hmm. Are there any good characters that have autism and not savant syndrome? Thanks, mm. Cecil. Uh, if you use differently abled instead of disabled, I will never speak to you again. <laughs> Noted. Um, 
That's a, a first off. That's a great question, and yeah. one thing that I love that we have been doing more and more and more mm. in the critical community, and in, and indeed the the mainstream audience as well, is talking in greater depth about representation, and particularly what kind of representation, not mm. just the existence of representation, but what is accurate representation, what is fair representation, what is mm. actually helpful re uh, representation, yeah. and unfortunately, I you know I've I've known autistic people, but I'm not really I, I wouldn't say i'm qualified mm. personally because I, i'm not autistic yeah. uh to say what are the best uh representations yeah, the, of uh, autistic uh people in film uh, and television un unfortunately same yeah. uh i i have heard from other uh other non-autistic people what the accurate depictions might be but i'm not hearing that from autistic people exactly. from people on the spectrum who uh, say that is that was my experience. This is the accurate version of this. So it's yeah. I'm only I would only be getting it hearsay anyway. Yeah. So, so I I can't say. Um, I think it's important to hmm. when when people who are in a position to you know we, we have a, this is a letters podcast. You ask us questions about things about the entertainment industry. Uh, I think it's important to be able to say that's something I am not an expert in. Hmm. Not just to come up with an answer for you. Not just to uh, pretend that we know everything about everything. We we don't. Uh, what I would like to say is that if anyone listening, if any one of our listeners hmm. uh, is autistic or feels that they have a particular level of expertise in autism uh, that would be relevant, hmm. uh, has suggestions of positive portrayals and and not just positive but fair, helpful portrayals of uh autistic people in in entertainment mm. uh please let us know and uh we would love to uh amplify that and we'd love to maybe mm. uh share those stories and try to help call attention and highlight uh film and tv that does it right uh because mm. uh, sometimes oh. sometimes it's it's not the most popular films that do so. It's not the most popular uh, TV series. Sometimes they fly under the radar, yeah, yeah. and uh, it, this is a, this could be a great example or a great opportunity to uh, mm. to boost uh, shows and and movies that yeah. have actually put forth the effort and done it right. Yeah, I, I I can point out ones that I know definitely get it wrong. Mm. Um, the one that leaps to mind was, uh, and 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 this was such a bummer because mm. I, I'm actually a big Shane Black fan. But Shane Black wrote and directed a Predator sequel. Mm. I think it was just called The Predator, uh, which featured an autistic child as one of the characters. And a it was, uh, like you said, a listener. Um, what, it, a it was savant syndrome, you know that which is like such a lazy plot point that so many screenwriters just sort of lean lean into, and it it depicted uh, being on the spectrum as being this sort of like anti alien superpower. It was like oh, the most it, offensive thing. Oh yeah, oh the, uh, we, yeah. we were talking about the the kid and the predator and how they were like this is the next evolution of humanity. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Now and, now you are all powerful. Like, like, like it's it, it's not a kid who's on the spectrum. It yeah. turns out yeah you're you're evolving into this new being. It's like yeah. oh shut up. You know nothing about this Shane Black. It's uh it's uh again I feel like that was mm. a, a, an incredibly naive attempt to be positive and ultimately all you were really accomplishing was a different kind of dehumanization. Yeah. yeah and yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, that's one. Um, we just put out a call for people to send us good examples yeah. and uh, talk about the absolute fastest response ever. I just got a text uh, from mm. my wife and partner, Michelle 
from who's listening to us speaking she from the hear, other room. We're very yeah. loud, and sometimes <laughs> you can hear us in the other parts of the apartment. Uh, and uh, she pointed out that uh, the autistic community, uh, there's been a lot of appreciation of the character of Entrapta in She-Ra, the uh, new reboot version of a She-Ra on okay, uh, no. Netflix. Uh, and although I don't think she has been specifically codified in the show oh, okay. as autistic, uh, she definitely uh, presents many of those qualities. And she's a great character. I oh, love right. that character. But again, it's not really my place to say. Yeah, I've, uh, yeah. I've, I've heard mixed things about the Netflix series Atypical as well. Mm. Um, but I haven't seen it, so I can't yeah. say. Uh, again, hearsay, rumor, passing on what I've heard from others. Uh, yeah. I can't, can't, can't take my word for it, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so again, this is one where we're just, we're a bit at a loss, but mm. thank you for raising the issue. We're glad we can, uh, we're, we're glad we can give that a platform. And again, anyone who is autistic or has a lot of personal experience with it, possibly, mm. uh, if you want to email us, the email address is letters at critically acclaimed dot net. Uh, we would love to hear from you. We want to know what TV shows and movies have been doing the representation, mm. uh, fairly, Appropriately uh, and positively. So, thank you. Uh, let's let's move on. Here's another letter. Here's a letter from Justin. Hi, Justin. Hi, Hi Justin. Uh, dear Bibbs and X squared plus three X plus sixteen equals Rockmeister McCool. I am a quadratic formula. Um, I recently watched John Waters' Hairspray, Ooh. and I do enjoy the 2000 remake as well. But I was curious, which do you prefer and why? How would you compare them? For me, I think Waters' uh, take just edges it out for me. Uh, as the favorite, but I do have a bias toward weirder movies and Waters take has a wig bomb. So anyway, what are your thoughts? <laughs> uh, thank you. Thank you for all you do, Justin. Uh, I've actually never seen all of the uh, remake movie, um, or, oh. nor, have I, nor have I actually gone to see the stage play. I grew up watching Hairspray a lot. It's been a long time since I've actually sat down and watched the whole thing, mm-hmm. uh, but I loved it. I always really just glommed onto its infectious positivity and mm-hmm. its... It's weird because so much of John Waters' career was spent sort of uh, sort of looking with sort of beautific eyes uh, at the the weird and mm. sometimes the genuinely off-putting. And he yeah. just has so yeah. much affection for them. And Hairspray is, in many respects, his most accessible movie. <laughs> it's, uh, it's rated PG. It's rated uh, PG. Yeah. It's not trying to, to push you away at all. But he's still got that exact same lens, that exact mm. same absolute loving portrayal of characters who in other movies wouldn't get the main stage. Mm. A, a character like Ricky Lake's, um, what's her name? Tracy Turnblad. Tracy Turnblad. <laughs> character like Tracy Turnblad uh. would not be the protagonist in almost any other teen movie of the 80s. Yeah. yeah. Just, and just by virtue of the fact that she's not thin. Let's just be fair. Mm. And she's an awesome character and I love her to pieces and I love her story and that's a great movie. Mm. Um, I saw bits of the remake and I thought this is okay, but it kind of missed the, um, it, 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 it felt to me a little, a little too shiny. I don't know. It, it, it missed the local authenticity. There of, you like go. actually filming in the streets of Baltimore. Um, yeah, there, there's a, a scene in the original where John Waters has, uh, uh, Edith Massey plays a thrift store owner and her goal is to clothe the homeless. Yeah. So she offers, you know, just sort of like the weirdest possible clothes for like a penny. It's like almost no money at all. Uh, and that that sort of like we're going to we're looking out for the outsiders. We're looking out yeah. for the people that other people have ignored. That sort of uh, attitude, I think, is really missing from the 
Was it Shang who directed that one? Yeah, it was, it was, I think it was Shang. Yeah. Yeah, from that version of it. Uh, when Divine plays the mom, that's John Waters and Divine making another movie together. When yeah. John Travolta plays Edna Turnblad, that's like that's, a fun stunt. They're more trying than anything. to be, they're, they're being kitschy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, isn't it funny that John Travolta's doing it? Whereas. That's him playing a role. Divine yeah. was divine. Yeah, D- Divine was just like Divine was playing herself. Yeah, <laughs> and everything, and, everything, and, and, and had another role in in Hairspray. Oh, uh, yeah, that's it, true. Yeah, divine played two roles in that movie. Uh, John Waters is in that movie, and he actually had a cameo. I think it's the only film of his uh, where he appears on screen. Really, I think he's had like he played the voice of. Um, I think it was. I think it was John Wayne Gacy uh, oh, in, in Serial Mom. Like, uh, oh, I don't remember that. Yeah, there's a bit where uh, they discover uh, uh, Kathleen Turner's like store of serial killer memorabilia because she's like really into serial killers. Yeah, and one of them is like a recording saying like, "Oh, this is the recording of a horrible serial killer," and that was John Waters' voice. He was the voice on the tape. Uh, it was it was either John Wayne Gacy or it was Ted Bundy. It was some f- famous serial murderer. Uh, yeah, it looks like he was a voice in Pink Flamingos. Oh, he, he was, was the, a voice right, he was in annou- Serial Mom. He was the announcer in Pink Flamingos. Uh, he so. was a voice in Pecker. Oh, yeah, he was the dirty phone caller in Pecker. Oh, it looks like he was a reporter in Cecil B. Demented, although I don't remember that at all. We, we watched that recently. I, I don't, don't recall I don't remember seeing him on mm. screen in that one. Uh, but yeah. All right. Mm. So, yeah, uh... I adore John Waters. I I love the original Hairspray because it's sort of down and dirty, because it is incredibly positive, and because it captures a a sort of local uh, pop culture phenomenon that we don't really talk about anymore, because pop culture phenomena are now global. Mm. It's kind of hard for uh, a global audience to understand the intense love for local pop culture, and uh, the Corny Collins show... Mm. uh, in in the world of hairspray is uh was a very real thing these sort of local dance programs yeah. where everybody in town could conceivably appear on that show mm. and it was a big deal if you got to be on that show but it only like only reached as far well, yeah, it was as your only city broadcast or locally or, but yeah. in that county it was everything yeah and uh, that's the, the same thing is true of a horror hosts uh, yeah. a phenomenon that i'm very fond we, of we don't it's weird because like the phenomenon of like that kind of like uh, DIY mm. TV host celebrity phenomenon that exists, but it's gone global because it's YouTube now. Yeah. Like, but it used to be a very local phenomenon. It would just yeah. be like, these like are people in only, your neighborhood. You could only yeah. see it in Baltimore. Yeah. You could only see it in this, this yeah. small Public town. access TV. I, I remember going, uh, I went on vacation to Solvang, California, uh, and through some weird fluke of satellite uh, images, we were able to get uh, local access midnight movie program from, uh, uh, from New York. Oh, it's from like, like there were given, there were like ads for like local businesses in Brooklyn. And uh, we were able to watch village of the giants in between the, the horror host kind of introducing things and saying, yeah, and come on down to Vinny's pizza here in Brooklyn. It's clearly some guy, some guy with a video camera shooting his own commercial. That was really special. That was That's a fun awesome. night. And this was, this was just like a couple of years ago too. That's hilarious. So it still exists, but it's not the preferred mode of, of consumption any longer. Anyway, we're off the beaten path. Well, so no, I, it goes, it goes to hairspray though. That's, okay. that's what I like about hairspray is it, I think, presents that kind of local celebrity phenomenon way better than the stage musical does. Well, again, I think that's, that's what I was getting at is, 
Um, I like Adam Shankman fine, I guess, mm-hmm. as a director, but he's not uh, he's not about any sort of realism, is he? He's about mm-hmm. sort of the the showmanship yeah, well, of it. And there's something ar- arguably John Waters isn't either, but he's well, but he's authentic. He comes, and that's, that's my point. Way. Is I think that uh, that authenticity mm-hmm. comes out. Like yeah, John Waters is arch. Certainly, but he's presenting that world of archness from a place where I understand every single detail of this because it's based on something real. Whereas I feel like a lot of Adam Shankman joints are, uh, they're, they're based on the stage. Yeah. And there's a certain level of artificiality that's caked into it, and sometimes that's fine. Uh, but also sometimes it just feels a little phony, and that's why I ended up not finishing that version of Hairspray. Uh, mm-hmm. I wasn't a film critic when that came out. Yeah, if yeah. I were watching it now, I would have sat through the whole thing on principle, uh, just to, so I could confidently answer a question like this. Right. <laughs> but I never got around to it. So what can I do? Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I agree. Mm. I, I, I like the musical just fine. The, mm. the musical it just doesn't, it's just not weird enough though. It doesn't mm. have a divine. It Debbie Harry's in the original, for goodness sake. I mean, Stoll's in the original, you know, you get, you get these really interesting people playing all these parts. All right. uh, here's a letter from Alex. Hello, Alex. Hi, Alex. Um, dear Bibbs and Whitney, I fell down an IMDb rabbit hole a while back and stumbled across a remarkably interesting oddity. Josh Kirby, the time warrior, uh, Josh Kirby ellipsis, the time warrior exclamation point. Uh, the six chapters, Planet of the Dino Knights, The Human Pets, Trapped on Toy World, Eggs from 70 Million BC, Journey to the Magic Cavern, and Last Battle for the Universe, <laughs> all of them 86 to 90 minutes apiece, were released over the course of seven months between 95 and 96, and boy howdy is it ever 90s. The MacGuffin of the series is a device capable of destroying the universe, which is called the Nullifier, and should be in no way compared to the Ultimate Nullifier, created by Jack Kirby in the 1960s. Said MacGuffin broke up into, is broken up into pieces and hit throughout time and space by the fourth Doctor, I'm sorry, Irwin1138. Our Mary Sue is Josh Kirby, a half-human warrior from the 32nd century, routed out by companions who must keep the pieces of the MacGuffin out of the clutches of the zany bad guy Doctor Zoetrope. <laughs> and then they get in this spaceship and... <laughs> <laughs> sounds pretty wild. Uh, despite the flagrant ripoffs poorly disguised as homage, the series has oodles of practical sets, costumes, and effects that uh, that put one in mind of recreational drugs. <laughs> <laughs> the world-building and mythology include the warrior character's interesting slash ridiculous moral code, the 21 Codes of Kang, which contains idioms like, Those who abandon the truth once may never find it again. Or, If you lay claim to a title, be prepared to defend it at any hour, day or night. The series was brought to by uh, brought to us by Moonbeam Entertainment. Mm. Uh, do you know you know Moonbeam, right? Uh, they're a subsidiary of uh, Full, Full Moon. Moon. That's right. Full Moon is a uh, mostly straight. They did some theatrical releases yeah. in the eighties, but uh, mostly straight to video horror sci fi genre mm. uh, releasing company. They're best known for doing the Puppet Master movies, mm. uh, but uh, they have also tinkered in uh, kids movies as well. The, probably the best known kids movie is uh, the Prehysteria series, yeah, yeah, which are yeah. about little dinosaurs. Yeah, it's yeah. A put up by uh, Moonbeam of Prehysteria fame, uh, yeah. uh, which is a subsidiary of Full Moon, which is a subsidiary of Paramount. You won't find this curio on Paramount Plus, though, but it's on Roku. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because I feel contractually obligated to include a question in these e- emails, I'll segue. 
Uh, you talk about shows that last one season or last on Cancel Too Soon. and have mm. plenty of opportunities to talk movies on Critically Acclaimed, but I feel like you do not get to talk about miniseries that had a pre-planned ending mm. uh, short of a traditional season. I feel like this was uh, prominent in anime with many OVAs from the 90s and 2000s. I don't know what OVA stands for. Oh, it's... Uh, um, I'll look that up. All right. Uh, before, before Released <laughs> consisting three to six half-hour segments. Amongst these... I would recommend uh, Deep Sub Number Six, Read or Die, or Furikuri. I've seen Furikuri. I've seen Read or Die, and I liked it mostly. Right. Um, uh, yeah. Also, Broken Saints. Is OVA a... stands for Original Video Animation. Ah, okay. Yeah, they were designed to basically straight to video, but they were very mm. often designed to be episodic. They would have like the opening and closing credits. They would be serialized, mm. even though they didn't have to be, uh, possibly because they could be done on second run later. But mm. um, yeah, anyway, right. yeah. Uh, I would recommend Broken Saints was a web series consisting of 24 chapters, anywhere from 9 to 83 minutes, 12 hours total. Do you have any miniseries or serialized stories like Josh Kirby, the Time Warrior, that don't neatly fall into your other podcasts that you would like to talk about or recommend to your listeners? Uh, Thanks, as always. I really appreciate the balance of entertainment and education I derive from your plethora of podcasts. And I'm looking forward to celebrating my one-year Patreon anniversary next month. Oh, wow. Thank you so much. Anniversary. Keep up the good works. Yours, Alex, the geek librarian. Um, P.S. It would be awesome if you did a hoopla theme on the Patreon poll. Hoopla hoop, theme. Hoopla. 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 Oh, hoopla's a, a streaming service. Oh, okay. I forgot about that for a second. It's uh, not talked about as often. Mm. I'll, we'll take note of that. That's a good point. Um, okay, so uh, first off, Josh Kirby, dot, 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 Time Warrior. Uh, I have I have a lot of affection for earlier eras of Full Moon Entertainment when it felt like they were trying harder. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> the the first two maybe three Puppet Master movies are legit. They're pretty the sec- good. The second yeah. is is my favorite. The third's pretty good too. Yeah, they're 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 all very very watchable and entertaining. Mm. Um, and uh, I would recommend all of them. Uh, a lot of the early Full Moon stuff was made by people with some real ambition and had a little money behind them. Uh, I would really recommend the Oblivion series. I think <laughs> the, there were only two. The original Cowboys and Aliens. Yeah. Which is a sticker, a huge sticker they put on the DVD boxes <laughs> they when were, the movie Cowboys and Aliens yeah. came out. It takes place on an alien planet, and it's totally a Western. They used all these Western sets, but in this Western It's like locale, sheriffs and horses. And yeah, that. but it's full of aliens and ray guns and stuff. And it was, uh, I think they were both written by Peter David, this hmm. award-winning comic book writer who worked on The Hulk and X-Factor and a lot of other great comics. Um, big big so fan of Peter David. So it's an unusually well-written a couple of full moon movies and the and they threw a little money at the makeup effects and everything and it looks pretty good. No. So every once in a while you'll find like some real gems mm. in that eighties, nineties era of full moon. Uh I've I've looked, I mean I haven't looked consistently because who has the time? They're very they're actually very prolific. Uh, I have not found any gems from Full Moon in a very long time. No. I, a friend of mine came over uh and j- just sort of on a fluke. I think he, they were all in a box for like three dollars at Best yeah. Buy. He bought the Ginger Dead Man movies that had been made to date. They're not very good. The second Ginger Dead Man movie is it, it, it's like offensively awful. It's yeah. like one of one of just literally the worst that I, I've seen. I, I think the first Ginger Dead Man is kind of amusing, if only because they got Gary Busey to play the Ginger Dead. Yeah. Ginger Dead Man is about a, a mass murderer who dies and his, then ends up... His uh, blood drips into some cookie, bat, batter. Co- cookie batter at a yeah. bakery. Yeah, and then he ends up being turned into a killer gingerbread cookie. And uh, late at night at a bakery, a few teenagers are like doing teenager stuff. You know how they are. 
and, sneaking uh, into bakeries and yeah, all. Yeah, and uh, they all. And the bakery, of course, is big enough that you can hide stuff because it's the bakery in your local town. And uh, anyway, he kills a bunch of people, and it's like, like ah. it's a little living gingerbread man. Yeah, and they made a whole bunch of sequels. I've seen at least two of them. They're not good. They're the first so... one isn't good either, but I, it's at least a fun watch. I guess it's probably the most yeah. recent. I think there's halfway decent full moon I've seen. I don't remember, I think there's four or five Ginger Dead Man yeah. solo movies, and there's a. Ginger Dead Man meets Evil Bong crossover film. Yes. Uh, there's uh, and seven That's, Evil Bong movies. Evil Bong is a, is a franchise about a bong who is evil. It's a, a living bong. Yeah. No, I didn't say that is evil. Mm. In who fact, is evil? Uh, in I have room, an ha- evil bong. You have an evil bong. Is it a functional evil bong yeah. or is it just a statue? It's just a statue. In All fact, right. we actually interviewed Charles Band once. And mm. uh, he actually, because Full Moon Features was located in downtown L.A. Mm. And um, uh, yeah, we just we just like we, ca- contacted him yeah. on Facebook or something. Say, hey, you want an interview? He's like, yeah, sure. Yeah, they were chill. Mm. And uh, we went there. And uh, while we were there, it's like, hey, we got all this like crap lying around. Like you want like some like leftover merch or whatever. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, and they yeah. let me have an evil bong and it's not a functional bong, but it is yeah. neat. Mm. So yeah, I have that. I have a statue on my desk and I don't want to say its name just cause it's incredibly rude, but yeah. uh, I still have it. I still have my statue that there I got from, Anyway, uh, <laughs> Full we, Moon Entertainment. we digress. I haven't seen yeah. the Josh Kirby movies. Actually, I was meant to get around to them. Uh, when we were doing, uh, the, the two shot, uh, we would like every month or so do an entire movie franchise, and I actually always meant to get around to Josh Kirby because right. there's a surprising number of those films. Chris McCarpenter is in those. Um, but uh, the question about miniseries, which is, mm-hmm. it used to be that the sort of uh, differentiation between like movie and television was a little clearer. Movies were individual standalones. If there was a sequel, the sequel was also kind of designed to stand alone usually. Uh, and uh, television was serialized, episodic, and there wasn't a lot of crossover. And then there were miniseries, which was just TV, but it was designed to end after four or five episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been a lot of good miniseries. Um, some of my favorites, uh, I'm really quite fond of the... In the 1990s, there was this um, big push for epic miniseries usually mm. like adaptations of fantasy uh, i think it was was it hallmark who was doing the big push i guess it was like showtime and a lot of the well, cable networks were pushing forward these things yeah, the cable networks were doing like mm. a lot of like the big like civil war movies but mm. andersonville the, that kind of stuff yeah uh, the uh, blue and the gray uh, yeah uh, god no gods and generals actually ended up being a movie but there yeah. was a lot of those um but uh, no, this was like network TV, and I think I think Hallmark did it, but I think it aired on like NBC or something. But uh, the big one that like kicked off the trend was Gulliver's Travels, yeah, starring that, Ted Danson. That that was not on network TV. Are you sure? I'm I'm fairly certain. That that, I'm gonna look that, that up because I really thought it was because I I remember wanting to see it and I I didn't never had cable growing up, so I didn't have access to it until later. Okay, well, in any case. Um, well, I'm, yeah, I'm, the, I'm looking this crap up. There, there was a TV miniseries of Gulliver's Travels in like 1995 or six. Around it aired there. on NBC. Oh, it did. Okay, it, I'm sure repeated elsewhere, but it, it aired on NBC. Well, well paint me asshole. All right, uh, um. <laughs> and it was from Hallmark and Jim Henson, so they had some real talent mm-hmm. behind that one. Uh, but the one of the ones that came in its wake, which I'm very fond of, is the TV miniseries of Merlin. Starring Sam Neill. Which I haven't seen. Which is actually a pretty respectable King Arthur adaptation. Like like Mm. all King Arthur adaptations, it mucks around with the myth, but the myth has been pre-mucked with. Right. Over (laughs) many centuries. There's no, like, 
No, no one's ever done like the original, so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not going to be too precious about it. Uh, but I'm quite fond of it. I, I think that one actually holds up pretty good. Obviously, the visual effects are dated, but the cast is solid. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got um, Miranda... Uh, Miranda Richardson. Richardson, thank mm. you. You got Miranda Richardson. You got uh, Martin Short. Daniel, mm. obviously. Um, it's well, really quite good. Yeah. Um, Warwick Davis is in it. Oh, yeah, I forgot about Bro- yeah. Bro- 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 Dang. Mm-hmm. It's one of the Brobdingnagians. Yeah. Um, no, no, you're thinking of Gulliver's Travels. Yeah. Oh, you're, you're talking, talking about Merlin. Merlin. I was still okay. talking oh, about Merlin. Sorry. I was right. still talking about Merlin. Sorry. Uh, Warwick Davis isn't going. Mm. That's also a good one. Um, and on the higher end of the. Of the, uh, of the uh, whatever the, the listing like the more fancy more expensive mm. I'm a really really big fan of an HBO miniseries that kind of came and went and then people it, it was like around the same time that the Hurt Locker came out okay. so everyone was talking about the Hurt Locker as this like incredible representation of like a soldier's experience a soldier's yeah. experience in contemporary warfare uh, and but because I had seen the HBO miniseries Generation Kill Hurt Locker was more like pretty dang good i actually yeah, think generation yeah. kill is like it's got this wonderful catch-22 quality to it it just completely understands the absurdity of how bureaucracy and the boots on the ground approach are completely at war with each other yeah and that's kind of what that whole miniseries is about uh really amazing cast um it's it's really great um so yeah, what about you? What about some mini series that you, you dig? Uh, well, I mean, I'm, I I grew up watching a lot of sort of the, the stuff your British stuff uh, that just sort of drifted into my uh, field of vision. I'm very fond of I Claudius. I yeah. don't think I really have to recommend I Claudius, but maybe I do. Maybe I, it's obscure. Now. I don't. I don't think it, it doesn't um, air very often. I don't think yeah. people talk about it too often. Th- anymore. This was a, a British mini series from the early '80s, uh, based on a novel by Robert Graves, based on uh, actual Roman history of uh, Emperor Claudius the First, who. Uh, was the the one like decent emperor uh, decent emperor that uh, ruled in between Caligula and Nero? Yeah. So uh, there's just like chaos on either side. But yeah, it was about it, they restaged the uh, rise to power of these Roman rulers as a soap opera, essentially, and sort yeah. of in, inter inter uh, family play and all of these you know rumors and weird uh, details about Roman history. It gets Roman history really right. Mm. Uh, to the point where we they showed it to us in high school, uh, and which was actually like a, a bit of a treat for us because you know there's like cussing and violence and nudity. It's like we get to see this in school. This is awesome. Uh, so yeah, I really really like I Claudius. I don't. It's probably on BritBox. I'm sure you can find that online somewhere. Oh, I'm sure it's available. Yeah, uh, I Claudius, and and also the Prisoner. I remember uh, when in my early twenties I got got deep into the Prisoner. Uh, which you know, some people say, was that a one season wonder? Was it a mini series? Well, they did conclude it, and the, well, a lot of British TV they, they was talk designed a, to yeah, end. Yeah, they, they talk yeah. about how it was never intended to go for longer than it did. Which you know, I'm okay with that. Uh, we we covered um, we, we, we covered we a couple because yeah. uh, for a while there are our mini our TV movies uh, also included a few mini series if we can get around to them. We, we are, one of our first things we ever did mm. on our Patreon was the Cancel Too Soon monthly movie mm. in which we talked about TV movies, but also occasionally some mini series. Uh, the probably the most prominent one we did was uh, Lonesome Dove mm. from 1989, which is uh, one of the more celebrated TV miniseries ever, and we actually had. A special guest for that, uh, Rhett Reese, the co-writer of uh, the Deadpool movies. Yeah. Uh, who was, was a big fan. Also a big fan of Lonesome Dove. Yeah, I'd interviewed him a few times, and mm-hmm. uh, he was 
You want to come? He was, come he was talk, a, talking he was about Lonesome Dove with us, uh, and uh, yeah, so that was a really and that that movie holds up really good, actually. Yeah, Lonesome, and, like it. Yeah. It looks like it was shot in a public park, but it's yeah. it's actually really well written. I, I appreciate Lonesome Dove because where it begins has nothing to do with where it ends. Like you think you know <laughs> what you're watching, yeah. and then like an hour later, it's something completely different. And an hour later, it's something completely mm. different, and it really feels epic. I watch. I, I was, and we also talked about a miniseries. Um, that came in the wake of Twin Peaks called Wild Palms. It was uh, like Oliver Stone. He's the executive producer on that one. And that was sort of his attempt to capture sort of the Twin Peaks audience. So he made this mm. really oh, bizarre God, science weird. fiction thing about how oh. we're, it's like the near future and everybody has holographic TVs, but it's all part of this like drug conspiracy and these two like warring political factions who are being covered up by this holographic tech TV technology. It's, it's super it's weird. real. And yeah, there's like nightmares and visions. If it, if have it a lot came to do out it. today, it would definitely find an audience quickly, mm. but it also, I'm still not hundred percent sure to be good because it's super fucking off putting and strange. Yeah. It's really like, I think it's really bracing. I recommend you see it. I think there's mm-hmm. a lot to chew on. I think our conversation about it was really interesting. Yeah. It's but one of those movies I, I, it's where difficult you don't, to say whether or not it's good. It's one of those TV miniseries where you're not sure if it deserves a criterion collection or a vinegar syndrome. release. <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah. It's one or the other, possibly mm. both. Um, so yeah, if you can track it, I bet you can find that on like YouTube or something. Oh, that, yeah. yeah. So that's somebody, somebody's plucked uh, plucked up wild palms. Yeah. I thought that was a really interesting one. Super strange. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot out there, and um, it's it's a somewhat under. It's, it's interesting because now that we have these sort of event television. Uh, uh, shows the miniseries has kind of like it's still a mini series, but they just have taken on this new air of respectability. Yeah, I think. Well, like uh, um, from what I understand, uh, a lot of these uh, Marvel superhero TV series, yeah. like aren't they're they're meant like sort of like these stopgap TV events. They're yeah. miniseries that they're releasing instead of feature films. Yeah, like WandaVision. Like yeah. you could maybe you could do like the Falcon and, and the, the Winter Sto- Soldier more of it because it's just two heroes. Falcon and the Snowman. I, I did it. I did yeah. it again. But uh, WandaVision, the very specific framework of that show, that that story's been told. Like you can't quite go back to that without like mm. Really bending over backwards, and it was a really cool mini series. I actually really liked that one. Right. So, um, yeah, there's there's a lot to be done with the format, and um, yeah. Anyway, um, we could go on, but uh, we should uh, answer some more letters. All right, uh, here's a letter from Edward. Hello, Edward. Uh, greetings to the irrepressible Ultrabibs and yeah. Professor Psy P S Y Bold. Should just change my spelling to P S Y Bold. It works. Pe- people would pronounce it correctly for a while, but then they'll think you have powers. But I do. Um, uh, Maximilian Ibn Fabuloso here, but you may call me Edward. Uh, This is a bit of a throwback letter. Sometimes I move a bit slower than originally intended, but since the other half is doing his Disney thing, this gives me a chance to work on catching up. Okay. Uh, First, Jim Steinman. Well, I can. Well, I can't think of anything that he scored for film that you don't already know. I was curious if you knew his three theatrical forays. The most popular would be Whistle Down the Wind with Andrew Lloyd Webber. It was an, uh, based on the 1961 movie and the concept album created uh, a hit created a hit for the group Boyzone called No Matter What. He also did a musical called Tons Der Vampire. Dance of the Vampire was yes. the Broadway version uh, with book by Michael Kunze, this time based on the Roman Polanski movie. If you are a big Steinman fan, this will come off as a Steinman songbook using many of his previous works, including Total Eclipse of the Heart. Yep. And Tonight Was What It Means to Be Young. Mm. Uh, it was a hit in Germany, but it never worked on Broadway, even with Michael, Michael Crawford's, quote, input. And I'm not sure that the CD was ever released of it, although there was an English version of the German show 
Broadway and Michael Crawford made changes, of course. And I did manage to get a copy of that Ooh. during a brief moment of availability. If desired, I could make a copy and send it to you completely. I am very interested. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I'd love to see that. I don't know Jim, if we could, Jim I don't Steinman know if we could cover it, but Vampire I'd be musical. to watch yeah. it, yeah. And finally, there's another project I know about that sadly never made it, Batman the Musical. <sighs> this seems to have been a doom, doomed project but that he never let die. I have some of the songs somewhere, but somehow this is it's not on my computer. A lot of the songs appear to be available on YouTube. He was releasing stuff about it all the time, so these might be good recordings. I do remember liking the music more than Spider-Man uh, Turn Off the Dark, <sighs> but that isn't a very high bar. <laughs> uh, if any- any superhero thought, deserves a rock opera. I think it's Batman. No, no, I, uh, no, no superhero takes himself more seriously. <laughs> and there, that's the sort of character who would sing about himself. Yeah. Uh, and yet there's something just wonderfully just contrasting in tone that I love. Mm-hmm. I would, I would have killed those seen Jim Steinman do mm-hmm. a Batman opera. I, I thought that was a joke. Like I saw the poster for it. Really? Like a pro- somebody put together a promotional poster. Oh it's the Batman God. symbol. It's like, with music by Jim Steinman. It's like oh, somebody's funning on me. <laughs> Turns out that yeah, that was a real thing. Jim Steinman was working on a Batman Broadway show. Yeah. Um, would that have been good? No. Would it have no. been amazing? Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> I would have killed to have like, seen that. I saw Spider Man on Broadway. That's so that's that's one of one of the feathers in my cap. I can so flaunt that. <laughs> And it was it was total coincidence. I'll stop the letter for a minute just for the brief story. Oh, um, more. Okay. My uh, my wife and I went to New York. She had like a work trip, and she brought me along so we could just play around in New York for a little bit. Um, but she said, uh, like the the morning she was going off to work, she said, "Your job is to just get Broadway show tickets. Just yeah, go from something. theater to go theater in yeah. person and just buy something." And uh, we went to to see Spider Man, and the tickets were ungodly expensive. It was like yeah. you know four hundred dollars to sit in the or- orchestra, and we're not we're not going to pay that much to see the Spider Man musical. Yeah. Uh, but as as I was going into the lobby just to look at the prices, somebody said, "Well, uh, we had this group of twelve, but only ten of us can show. Can I get a refund?" And they said, "Sorry, no refunds." So I just shouted out, "I'll buy those off you. I'll give you cash." And they yeah. followed me to a cash machine. I just handed them cash, so we were able to see. I got a pair of Spider Man tickets for a hundred dollars, which is a steal. For the pair. Wow. That, and that, that's a steal that's for, or, for steal. orchestra pit seats for the hottest wow. show on Broadway. That's amazing. So we were able to see for real, real cheap the, yeah. the Broadway, the Spider-Man Broadway musical written by Bono and directed kind of by Julie Taymor. Yeah. Uh, Julie Taymor was fired off the project because she had all these really yeah, weird yeah, ideas yeah. about yeah. what Spider-Man should be. You can see clips online. It's amazing. I well, would like to say had, this. I find it fascinating yeah. that like, oh, I'm sorry, we can't uh, uh, see the show. Like, I'm sorry, we don't do re- we don't do refunds. You have to scalp them. <laughs> yeah, pretty go much. Go scalping. Go, go. That's, <laughs> they dare you. It's a New York experience. <laughs> so yeah, we got to see Spider-Man turn off the dark and uh, Spider-Man turn off the dark. Um sucks it's not as bad as its reputation might have you believe uh and and no one got injured that's all anybody asked because it was yeah. really notorious for injuring a lot of the stunt performers during early uh early shows but not during the actual but performances yeah. it seemed like that was they, yeah. they so I, when we told people yeah we saw spider-man the first question was "Ooh, did you see anybody get injured it's like no actually, no and why is that important to you why is that like "Ooh, tell me tell me but it, it it felt more like one of those like amusement park stunt spectacular attractions mm. than it did an actual Broadway show. Nice. But yeah, I wish I could have seen Julie Tamer's version, which had all yeah. these like allusions to Ovid and the Metamorphosis, and like she tried to make it feel really Greek. Uh, that was her idea. Spider Man is a, a 
reference to Ovid's metamorphosis or Ovid's Roman, um, Ovid's metamorphosis. Regardless, um, very few people could have had the clout to do that, Mm -hmm. to take Spider-Man and got a completely weird direction and this ginormous production with Mm -hmm. with music by Bono, right? Bono on the edge. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and we're gonna make it weird. Like we're not gonna do the Spider Man you know and like. We're no. gonna do the Spider Man you don't know and don't like, and you're gonna love it. Oh, you don't love it. <laughs> oh, Craven the Hunter is half lion in this version. Well, that's and, they and actually Carnage is made of blood, and here's a character called Where Carnage Sw- was made of blood. Well, in the comics, it's like an alien glob. Yeah, but the alien got into his blood. Like, it's actually oh. inside of him. Like, that was one yeah. of the things with Carnage. Also, uh, there are versions of Craven the Hunter where he did turn into an animal guy. Oh, my goodness. I'm just saying those aren't the things right. to point out. No. Those aren't no. the ones that are the, Although the, they, they invented so a, weird. They invented a new villain character called Swissmas, who is like half Swiss army knife. Yes. And that's a character I don't think they've ever done anything with in the comics. I, I would do <laughs> Imagine it. that. Yeah. Uh, right, anyway, finish the letter. I have a point. I have a question uh, I want to make. Yeah. More of the letter. Next, uh, Xanadu. Not everyone is asking for it, but I think maybe we've been looking at Xanadu, that is the feature film, in the wrong yeah. light. Uh, while they sadly didn't, didn't get the originally intended version when Andy Gibb didn't sign on, and only on-the-fly rewrites are on-the-fly rewrites are all over this movie, including why would Sonny, a painter, have access to a high-tech recording studio? Uh, the writers went down to the next best route, a musical review. If you think about it, the story exists just enough to get from one song to the next. Flimsy stories are common in musical reviews. Yep. Uh, the focus is the musical numbers, which is exactly why they put all of the effort into those. It is difficult to find fault in the musical numbers, although opinions vary on the Gene Kelly, Olivia Newton-John scene. Um, it's it's I, well-intentioned, I but it's... And certainly yeah. the idea is fine, but it doesn't quite play. Whatever, let's, let's move on. Does this make it a great movie? No, that is, uh, and that's, but that's not unusual with reviews. Uh, I, I argue that it's actually quite successful as a musical review. Before presenting this idea to you two, I made sure to bounce off of the musical theater queen, Other Half, who was, who would not hesitate to tell me that I was just wrong. Uh, and he agreed that it worked as a musical review. Okay. Sometimes I are smart. <laughs> There are movies, uh, are there movies you can think of that when they came, if you came at them from a different angle, you found you thought them, thought of them as a better movie. I still think that Tammy works much better when you watched as a drama other than a comedy. Mm. And there's, and there's also a third part to this letter. Oh, but, Tammy, um, the Miss McCarthy movie. Yeah, I actually yeah. agree with that. Um, when, uh, I, I, both you and a friend of mine suggested that Batman and Robin works really well as a luchador film. Yeah. That's a good way to look at that movie. It still doesn't make it enjoyable, but at least it, at puts least it, it makes into sense. a broader context. Yeah. It, it's, uh, it's much more like, yeah. it's not about being a gritty superhero movie. It's about being a larger than life, uh, sort of, uh, heightened reality action movie. And, yeah. um, I, I, I found a certain mm. level of appreciation for it on that level uh, to, to a couple of things. Uh, before we get in, is that the end of the email? No, there's a little bit more. There's so much. Yeah. <laughs> so much. It's, it's you a long cover email. so many points. Like yeah. I want to, I want to mention a few things in the Jim Steinman stuff. But anyway, let's move on. Let's finish the email. All right. Um, uh, part three is a cry for help. I'm still going crazy trying to remember these two movies, and I really, I'm really hoping that you or your extensive knowledge okay. uh, of your base might be able to solve these mysteries. The first one I'm fairly certain is going to be easy. The second one has been driving me crazy for years. Number one, a thriller. I'm fairly fairly certain. Mm. Someone is attacked in their apartment, and as part of their decor that they have, a, uh, uh, part of the decor they have on their table legs mm. uh, are large open scissors. So, of course, this is how they ultimately die, possibly decapitated, assisted death by lousy feng shui. You're thinking of the movie Dead Again. Yes, uh, it's uh, 
I think you're right. It's a kind yeah. of Kenneth Branagh movie, and there's a climactic scene where uh, an artist whose uh, metier is scissors yeah. has a lot of scissors there's, around their there, apartment. There's a lot of scissors mm. imagery in that movie because it's about like people who are reliving like past crimes from previous lives, yeah. and the past crimes involve um, scissors, and it's it's really good a movie actually. Dead again deserves a Criterion release. I'll it's just so say good. that it's actually like impeccably written. Yeah, it's really well directed. It's kind of it's it's, it's, yeah. most underrated movie, and it's not even yeah. underrated because everyone who sees it loves it. Just no one sees it. That's <laughs> right. the problem. So. Well, it was. Um, Mild hit it like at the time, came yeah. in like 91 around there. But I, yeah. it was actually rather noteworthy in that people started like looking at Robin Williams a little differently after because right, he was he... had a more more serious supporting role in it and it mm. was really good. Yeah, that movie's great, yeah. but that's that I'm 99% sure that's movie you're, you're probably looking at thinking of the film Dead Again. Yeah, um, and here's the hard one a period piece, I think, from World War II era France. A woman okay. and her husband live above and run a fancy shop with their daughter. He is unable to fight in the war. Then there is a drifter or a deserter who is hired by the wife to clean up the shop and given a mattress on the basement to sleep on. And of course they have a tort affair. Then he threatens to leave when she tries to get a little tough with him. And he tells her that he will only stay if she arranges for her daughter to sleep with him too. No, no, you mustn't ask. I can't honey, go clean up. The man from downstairs is going to deflower you. So mommy can still get some. Ooh, that's pretty uh, twisted premise. Then uh, some really, really horrifying. Somehow he ends up sleeping with both the mother and the daughter while the husband who knows what is going on cries alone in bed. Then the city is bombed and everyone dies. The end. Jesus. What a a delightful movie. Um, I hated this movie so much. Uh, when I was invited to see it and I don't think I want to see it again, but I really like to know the movie's name so I can tell people what one of the worst movies I've ever seen was. Well, that, that's it for now. Thank you both for your time. Uh, how you find time to sleep is a mystery. And mm. well, oh, we, have, we, we don't, we just don't. Uh, and I hope uh, you and those you care about have a great day. Oh, and why? Yes. Uh, I can't speak cat. So meow, meow, <laughs> <laughs> stay healthy and ha- happy. Edward. Uh, well, thank you for the the extensive letter and giving us a lot to talk about. Um, uh, so yeah, there's, there's a lot in there. Uh, let's that actually the, does sound a little familiar. Uh, I don't this sort it's of like not for me. Um, it sounds, I'll, a, it sounds a little bit like it. shame, but there's no daughter character like the yeah. Ingmar Bergman film Shame. No, Scum no, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's there's actually no daughter character. I, I, shame, I'd be curious. So one thing that, that wasn't in the email is whether it was in the English language or not. Yeah, if it's an English uh, or a French film. So I, I'd be curious about that. That might actually change my framework and how I would look mm. that up. But that one doesn't <coughs> ring a bell. If anyone mm. knows what movie we're talking about, please let us know. Uh, the fastest way to do that would be let us know on Twitter at Critic Acclaim or I'm at William Debiani. Mm. He's at William Seibold. Um, uh, if you know what movie we're talking about or he's talking about there, I'm... Mm. That's the way to go. Uh, regarding some of the other stuff. First off, Jim Steinman. So many unrealized Jim Steinman projects. And <laughs> I, I remember so many years of my life have been spent trying to decipher the riddle of the music video to Total Eclipse of the Heart. Which, <laughs> if, you've, if you've never... Mm. First off, if you've never heard the song, it's one of the ultimate mm. 80s bangers. Like, it's just huge and epic and catchy and unforgettable. Uh if you've never seen the music video, pause the podcast. Watch it. It's like five minutes long. It's pretty long. But like, it's just it's like eight minutes long. Is it eight minutes long? It's, it's, it's pretty long. It's video. long. It's a long. It's long for a music video. It's short for anything else. Uh, watch the music video. And as you're watching the music video, try to guess what's going to happen next. I dare you. Like, you will not guess everything that's going to happen over the course of this video. It's super weird. And when I found out it's about vampires, not only did the lyrics make more sense, but the music video makes more sense. 
which it still doesn't make sense, but it makes more sense. So appreciated that, 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 that changed my life. Uh, Xanadu is Xanadu underrated a little, Mm. it's definitely not the worst thing ever. Like a lot of people use it as like a punchline for so many years, though. It's like the most embarrassing thing ever done. It was an attempt to marry the old school Hollywood musical. Gene Kelly is in it with where music was at in 1980, which is unfortunately Mm. a very specific period in time in music. And it's not necessarily a period in time that is well yeah, thought like of. A, a lot of. So it ends up feeling like a weird yeah. mishmash between this classical, timeless musical quality and this incredibly dated yeah. thing. And so as a result, the movie will always play weird. Like, oh, we're going to open our own roller disco. Those will be around forever. Yeah. Um, we got yeah. we got magical muses from ancient past. We've got Jim uh, uh, Gene Kelly, one of the most iconic and long-lasting stars uh, in Hollywood history, still one of the most recognizable uh, mm-hmm. uh, actors from the Golden Age, and then Roller Disco, <laughs> Olivia Newton John's Roller Disco, yeah, and, 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 one of those things and, not and, like the and other. And Michael Beck as a painter, yeah. uh, it is a bad movie. I, yeah. I think a lot of the music is not interesting. Um, oh, there bet. are some sequences I like. Everybody likes the Don Bluth animated sequence and it's really well animated. It's great. Uh, and I, I actually like the, uh, the dancing number mm-hmm. where they start with sort of a, a like world war two era, big band sound. And they blend that with like some early eighties hair metal. Yeah. And the, and physically like the two stages like move and blend together. And that's I think that's kind of, that's kind of an interesting yeah. bit. I'll go oh, bad for the soundtrack. I think oh, Electric yeah. Light Orchestra did some really, really memorable music for that. Yeah. I've listened to that soundtrack on its own more times than I can literally count. I'm sure Spotify can count, but I can't. <laughs> I, seriously, there are like months have gone by where I listen um, to almost nothing else because I, I actually love yeah. Yellow, but anyway. Does it function as a musical review? No, because there's not enough music. Uh, I think if there was even less... Uh, less things in between the musical numbers than maybe. Yeah. Uh, I, I you remember, can appreciate it yeah. as just, I like the musical numbers and everything in between. I don't give a crap, but it doesn't bother me. Yeah. That's fine. I don't think that quite makes it a musical review, but I see what you're getting at. And it's an angle at which you can appreciate the movie because at any other angle you can't. And I think that's fair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If there's, if there's one way you want to look at a thing that makes you appreciate it and it's not like, putting your head in the sand and ignoring something like really toxic or shitty or something like that, then go for that. Mm. Knock yourself out. You found a way to enjoy a thing in a very earnest way. Good. Um, And you took, you stole my example of a movie that didn't work for me until I saw it from a new perspective, which Mm. is Batman and Robin is a good luchador movie. Yeah, well, and, and it wasn't until Mark Edward Hoyk pointed out to me that uh, I know who killed me is actually a giallo. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I watched it. I was like, this is just like a bonkers thriller. I don't understand this, but once you look at it as Hoy, an homage to Italian, as, yeah, this like yeah. very Italian movies like, Oh, actually. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. what this if Dario is. Argento made. I know who mm. killed me in 1979. Mm. It would be hailed as a horror classic, yeah. but because it was an American filmmaker working with Lindsay Lohan in the two thousands, it swept the Razzies. And I don't yeah. think that's fair. I think that's. I don't think well, that's I mean, about the, finding the, the right the angle. Are never fair. No, but, uh, I know. But like, my point is that it got a bad reputation. It was a time when everyone was like dogpiling on like hating Lindsay Lohan for mm-hmm. no good reason, and which is bullshit. And we all owe mm-hmm. her a gigantic apology. Uh, she owns a resort now. Good for her. Like she, she, in order to flee the tabloids, she mm-hmm. just sort of left the country and started hanging out on beaches and realized, no, I want to do this now. Good for her. Just I want to live on a beach. So Seriously, she, so good she for found her. it. I, I think it's, and I think it's called Lohan. 
think it's in Greece. Good. I would love yeah, to visit. So you it. can go, go to Lindsay Lohan's resort. I think it's in Greece. But that's one where it's not about so much finding some weird angle that like maybe wasn't intended. I think that's the case. That's a case where we missed the point or collectively we missed the point when it originally came out and only later on were people willing to cut it some slack or consider maybe that perspective was short-sighted and try to ask what was the movie actually getting at? Mm. And that's something that I think that's something, for example, that uh, befell Mm. Starship Troopers where when that movie came out, it was uh, the studio presented it as this big action spectacle a la Independence Day or some of the other giant, you know, sci-fi blockbusters of the time. And what they weren't talking about was how it's a satire of propaganda films. Mm. And it's actually very cynical about the Hollywood studio machine and the way that it presents the entertainment of war. Uh, Mm. That's, that's an angle that people didn't by and large pick up on originally they picked that up on it pretty fast, but it was too late to save the movie at the box office. So that's another example. I think oh, okay. where like it took people a minute to figure out like what they were actually a, doing. A little. I think I was on yeah. that film's wavelength right away. It's, yeah. the, it's the RoboCop guy. It's the same tone as RoboCop. Yeah. Well, it, Jupiter it Ascending is as well. I think Jupiter Ascending oh. is another one where if you look at it not as like this big action spectacle from mm-hmm. the directors of the Matrix, but if you look at it as an elaborate sa- uh, sci-fi satire of the Princess Diaries. Mm. Where, oh, yeah, it turns out you, a scullery maid, is are actually a royalty and you're going to get to inherit the entire planet Earth. And this is our excuse to give you a really complicated look at why the whole economic system of the universe is fucked. <laughs> really mm. fucked. And if you look at it from that perspective, that's actually a really interesting sci-fi movie. Yeah. If you look at it as brainless spectacle, it's not because it's not brainless. It's actually no, a lot too. It's actually kind of interesting treatise. Um, mm. And then what was the what was the and, uh, and yeah no, that, I think that and that's not a bad performance. Oh, uh, Eddie Redmayne. Uh, Eddie Redmayne. That's a brilliant performance. Eddie Redmayne is not giving a bad performance. He's giving a very very good performance. He's doing that on purpose. He was told to do that. <laughs> he represents the absolute. Mm evils at the absolute pinnacle the unapologetic Mm. uh exploitation of people in an economic system and they're not pretending that that has nuance they're telling you that is evil there's a really (laughs) distinct point to that um it's not a great movie in some respects because it's just it's clunky and it's overstuffed but like Mm. the actual messages of it and the idea behind it are really strong and i will defend jupiter ascending Mm. A lot. <laughs> I think it's a really interesting film. Yeah, yeah. So that's another example, right? There. Okay. Um, so, but yeah, thank you for that. And if anyone can think of that, uh, I guess it's a war movie. Uh, please let us know. It sounds really twisted. Uh, and uh, yeah, doesn't ring a bell right now. Mm. All right, moving on. Uh, here's a letter from Shad. Hello, Shad. Hi, Shad. Um, uh, dear Ben's Whitney, I'd like to present to you with the pitch okay. for your next great Cancel Too Soon series. Okie dokie. The Cancel Too Soon Mysteries. Logline. Okay. William Bibbs Bibiani and Whitney Seibold are former critics who now teach film and TV courses at a small Midwestern college. Ow. They also solve mysteries. They use their encyclopedic knowledge of film and TV to solve crimes and stump the local police. <laughs> Characters. William Bibbs Bibiani. Bibbs is always handy with a pun at the scene of a crime. 
He'll say things like, he'll never get a head in life after finding a headless corpse. Oh. These puns will frequently proceed to a commercial break. <laughs> or sometimes we'll be in the cold open. Can can you put on shades like in CSI Miami? I'll just, I'll just take my glasses off and put them back on again. <laughs> uh, Bibbs will also have the catchphrase, everyone's critic. Then he'll, uh, when his theories get questioned, Bibbs is frequently experimenting with soap making. And while they usually turn out well, he'll sometimes be working on one that totally grosses out everyone. <laughs> uh, uh, all right. Uh, okay. Character Whitney Seibold. Mm. Throughout the series, people will sometimes call Whitney Rockmeister McCool. He will not respond well to this and will always say, I'm not that guy anymore. <laughs> And this will never be explained. You'll also reference films that no one but Bibbs has ever heard of. <laughs> and sometimes not even Bibbs will have heard of them. Whitney's catchphrase is, oh golly, when startled or shocked at something. Like Bibbs, he is prone to puns and bad jokes. This is true. Dean Fussler, <laughs> the dean of Bibbs and Whitney's department, will frequently annoyed, be annoyed at them solving mysteries when they should be teaching. Frequently in episodes, he will always catch them doing something they shouldn't, but Bibbs and Whitney will always be a step ahead. <laughs> chief Verner, the chief of police, who will never understand how, this, how they solved crimes uh, before Bibbs and Whitney arrived in town. He was always affable and generally glad for the help. Doc Pierce, the medical examiner that Bibbs and Whitney consult when he w- consult with often. He's total cliche, wisecracking, eats over the bodies, and does things that make our duo a little nauseous sometimes. I love the wisecracking pathologist. Thank you for including it. And finally, Luca. Yay! Bibbs' cat, who will mostly serve as comic relief. Occasionally will do something that causes a revelation about the crime. <laughs> So, oh, well, thank you, thank you, Luca, for helping. Mm. There's a list of six episodes. Uh, number one, Pitch, the pilot, introduces the characters, deals with the murder of a baseball pitcher from the college team. Bibbs and Whitney know little about sports, so awkwardness ensues. No, I know enough about baseball. I don't. I know a little bit about a little bit of. Okay, no, nothing about yeah, baseball. Yeah, I know there's a ball in it. I've, I've, I'm not going to flout my ignorance about baseball. Yeah. I'm a little embarrassed that I don't know more about organized sports. I know that on first base, you hold hands. Oh, is, is that first base? That's <laughs> first base. Yeah, it, it, in what, 1949? Yeah. You hold hands, that's first base? That's first base. Sure. What? Look, clear, clearly you're not a youth in 2021. Never said I uh, was. Number two, Prophet, a local banker is killed in front of his own vault. Number three, Baffled, a psychic is killed, and the police turn to Vivs and Whitney when they run out of leads. I thought you was number gonna, four. For a second I thought I was going to say, a psychic is killed in front of her own vault. No, wait, what? <laughs> Number four, doubt. Police have their man, or do they? Bibbs and Whitney have their theories and race to save an innocent man. Number five, Cop Rock. <laughs> Notice these are all names of cancel two shooting yes, shows. Yeah, um, yeah. Pitch, Profit, Baffled. Uh, Cop Rock, a police officer that's murdered, is revealed to be the lead singer of a punk band. Is it an old case or a bad gig that got him killed? And the 100 Lives Ellipsis, a magician slash escape artist is accidentally killed when a trick goes wrong, or was it murder? Were there more episodes? Maybe. I'll leave that up to you if you want to come up with more, if you want to open it up to listeners for some more. Uh, thank you for all that you do. I know that this comes from a place of admiration and respect. Thank Sincerely, you. Shad. Um, Shad, thank you for that. That's funny. That's very I, no, funny. No, no, it's, it's, I've, I've never, <laughs> like, it, it's not, I don't know if that technically qualifies as fan fiction, mm. but it's close enough for me. That's, that's very, very flattering. Uh, I'm disappointed that in this universe, neither of us are married anymore. <laughs> yeah, we do. We do have wives. You have family. You have a son. No. So that's going to be, these are characters that will need to be addressed. But um, uh, that's a fun idea. I've actually toyed with on many occasions. And we've talked about it on Twitter. Um, 
wanting to write a series of cozy mysteries mm-hmm. about a film critic in a small town. And sometimes I'll, when I'm feeling wistful or depressed, I'll tweet about, I just want to like get a job at a liberal arts college in a small Midwestern mm-hmm. town and occasionally solve mysteries. <laughs> uh, it's a fun, it's a fun, it's, it's such a fun framework for a show or a series of books. And I've toyed about doing something with it like so many times. And you've clearly, uh, done the work for me because that's actually really good mm-hmm. um and now i can never use any of that material uh but um thank you that's that's a hoot and i'm trying to think of what we would I, if you and i actually like found a dead body mm. i think we take a crack at it why not <laughs> like we'd at least we'd at least give it a one we at least give it a look see well, rather than being a series, we'd be in just this really kind of um, embarrassing indie film mm. where we're two film critics. We find a body and we try to solve the mystery and it just like ruins our lives. <laughs> it's like, no, no, I'm investigating, investigating. What What are you doing? You're under arrest. You're not allowed to do that. Yeah. Th- th- that's against the law. Well, what if I escape and solve the crime to prove my innocence? This is not a TV show. Why would you? Why would I'm you do that? Just gonna arrest you again. And, yeah, you know, we spend most of our time. Even if in you prison. solved the crime, you 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 like evaded the police and stuff. Mm. It'd be it'd be bad. Uh, I've I, one thing I love about uh, mm. all those like murder she wrote type mystery shows oh. is the absolute lack of confidence in the police's ability to do anything useful. Yeah, because yeah. that's the whole premise: is the the police can't do it only. Uh, uh, Angela Lansbury can mm. uh, Thank you Angela Lansbury For just exposing The incompetence <laughs> At the heart and, of uh, a lot of police Departments And, um, uh, and so, starting yeah. on and starting on May 20th You can watch the Mapleworth murders Again Oh yeah, yeah it, was okay. a, uh, it was a two, it was a Quibi show It was a Quibi show and all the Quibi yeah. shows on, on the 20th of May of this year yeah. You'll be able to watch it, on Roku Basically tomorrow as of when this mm. uh, episode Debuts um, so yeah, be sure to watch the Mapleworth murders. It's, it's amusing. It's not a great comedy, but there's a lot of really interesting cameos. They got a lot of big stars to be yeah. in it. It's a, it's a, it's a satire of those kinds of, of yeah, it's, shows, a, it's yeah. a spoof of like murder. She wrote. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that's a lot of fun. Mm. And, um, if we couldn't play ourselves, <laughs> who would play who, us? Who would, who would play us? I yeah. see you. Well, I get that worst week guy who looks like me. Um, oh, that, you that, would, yeah, wouldn't that you? actor. Who... I was going to go with Rafe Spall. <laughs> I'll take Rafe Spall. Yeah. Yeah. Let me look up the actor from Worst. There's a TV series that we're going to cover at we some point. We keep meaning to cover it. It's been yeah, forever. It's, but it's but called, like, yeah. it was called Worst Week and the lead actor in Worst Week, like, his name is uh, Carl Bornheimer. Mm. Kyle Bornheimer just mm. looks a little bit like me. And I have so. to say this. Your dad is going to be played by Hart Bachner. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> Get Hart Bachner in here. The guy from Die Hard. Um, anyway, I don't know who to play me. Anyway, uh, we got time for... We got time for one more? Yeah, we got time for All one right. more. Uh, here's a letter from Thomas. Hi, Hi Thomas. Thomas. Uh, hello, Bibbs and Rockmeister McCool. I was recently listening to a new episode of Critically Acclaimed, and I want to thank you. Thank you for bringing up the film Drop Dead Gorgeous. Yay! Uh, I remember that movie from my teenage years, and I swear to you that it had been, uh, it had, that it had been completely forgotten about. While I never really thought of it as a good movie, it amazes me that no one I know seems to remember its existence. It had a bunch of noteworthy actors in it. It was regularly played on cable after it came out, but for some reason it was never brought up or referenced for anything. Mm. Now to the point of my question, what are some tropes or traits in movies uh, that make them become forgotten when they are things that shouldn't 
when things shouldn't let that happen. Some forgotten movies have big actors or directors, but uh, or received a wide release or advertising budget, but still drift out of human consciousness. Uh, hoping you guys can help me with this query of mine. Thanks for all the work you do, Tom. Why why are big movies forgotten? That's yeah. The real question um, here. Um, first off, uh, regarding Drop Dead Gorgeous, uh, Drop Dead Gorgeous. If you if anyone who's listening is unfamiliar with it, is a really funny. Uh, sort of post waiting for Guffman look at uh, sort of team beauty pageants. Right. A lot of wacky characters. It's genuinely very, very funny. Um, it wasn't a huge hit, but it's one of those movies that everyone who saw it really liked it. Mm-hmm. And even though it doesn't get referenced a lot, it's one of those movies where every time you bring it up in conversation, everyone who's seen it goes, yeah, <laughs> uh, for a long time. And these are typically movies that eventually become cult hits uh for for a long time this was galaxy quest Mm. galaxy quest was a movie that kind of came and went it did okay but every time if you if no one brought it up in conversation but if you actually did everyone would quote it because Mm. they really liked it uh and now i think it's more or less an established sci-fi comedy classic maybe on the lower end but like Mm. it's up there uh, and I think that's coming someday for Drop Dead Gorgeous because everyone I oh, know Drop who's Dead, actually seen it is really loved. Drop Dead it. Gorgeous already has that. It's been celebrated in retrospectives. It's made has, its, it has it's, retrospectives. Yeah, absolutely. It's made its rounds okay. on the Midnight Circuit. Uh, it's, Did it, it's really yeah. I missed that round on the Midnight well, Circuit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay. But, well, okay. Well, then I missed it. About a decade then I was ago. right. Yeah, it's, it, it's then already, I was right. It already did it. It, it already good. it already did it, and it's moved moved through the consciousness. And, but you know, it's a little it's still a little quiet. As, as cult movies go. Mm, all right. Um, Obviously, our, our reader I, missed I it. I saw it when it came out. I think it. it came out in 99. And uh, it's... Um, I remember thinking it was amusing. Very I didn't charming. think it was really kind of groundbreaking in any kind of significant yeah. way. But, uh, yeah, I liked it. Yeah. I think it's fun. Uh, yeah. Um, it's, but, yeah, it definitely has a cult. It has a, a really big queer cult. That's a big yeah. part of it. And, yeah, um, yeah it, it actually is, is pretty well regarded now. Yeah. I think it's been rescued. Uh, uh, as for the question, why are movies that seem like they're going to be a big deal, hmm. why do they become forgotten? Uh, and that's a good question. Uh, availability is a big part of it. Big part of it. Uh, if if people don't keep on talking about it, then they're just going to go away. Uh, and, it, and that can happen to anything. If they stop making mm-hmm. DVDs of Ghostbusters and take it off of streaming, Ghostbusters will vanish. Yeah. Yeah, o- only true. only older o- older fans of it will remember it and, and talk about and it. And then eventually um, they'll just sort of fade mm. away, and then we won't talk mm. about it anymore. There's there so are... many gigantic blockbuster movies mm. from the 30s, 40s, well, silent era onward mm. that nobody talks about anymore, just because they're not available anymore. Yeah, the, uh, and that's just not a thing. The Dead End Kids yeah, the Little Rascals, uh, the Blondie movies, uh, uh, the the Francis, Francis the Talking, Talking Mule. Mule. These things were yeah. all huge, huge hits in their day, and yeah. because Billy Jack, they're not yeah, Billy Jack, and because they're not being constantly celebrated, uh, they do tend to fade away, and this can happen fast. Yeah, uh, how. One of our favorite movies, we talk about this movie a lot, is Master and Commander: The Far Side of the World. Yeah, the Peter Weir film from two thousand three, and. Um, that movie, it got a proper DVD release, but I think because of some weird fluke, I think the print runs were really low on that film. Like, there weren't a lot of DVDs put out on it, and it just never sort of made a lot of rounds on cable stations. A, it's it's a little long. I think it's two hours and 40 minutes. Uh, it's about this really dry material about, you know, maritime warships, and it's uh, maybe a little bit of a tough sell when you're trying to book, like, blocks of programming on cable television. Right. And as such, you couldn't find it. 
it disappeared really quick. It went mm. off the market real fast. Um, I don't know if it's on any streaming services now even, uh, but mm. it it is a legit great movie. Yeah. It should be talked about. It should be watched a lot. Uh, I was really happy when uh, Sneakers made its way onto Paramount Plus and like... In, All of a sudden in, people are talking week, about it. Like, oh, I, I, I think it was HBO ever, Max. It was actually. HBO Max. Yeah, like, yeah. Have you seen this movie Sneakers? Yeah. Yeah, I saw it. I've been talking about it constantly. Haven't you been listening? Have you been listening to me? <laughs> I was mildly offended. Yeah. I was like, like, we've been talking up this movie for our entire careers mm-hmm. and you're only just now watching it. Why? Because it's now available easily. Yeah. Yeah. It's just right there. Like, it's easy to get to. This is one of the reasons why we get frustrated when classic movies or just older movies are not available on big streaming services mm-hmm. because simply having them available makes it possible for people to discover them again. Mm-hmm. If they're not available, people don't, and people don't know to look for them. They're not going to get found by most folks. More people are going to stumble onto sneakers just for the sheer fact that it's on HBO Max than would ever have gone hunting for the DVD randomly. Master and Commander is on Prime right now. Good. So if you have if you have a Prime subscription, uh, watch yeah. Master and Commander: The Far Side of the but, World. But to that point, I mean, think about how many like blockbusters from the '70s, for example, mm. are not talked about today. The, the towering movies, the yeah. towering Inferno, uh-huh. gigantic blockbuster all-star nominated for best picture mm. when was the last time you heard someone talk about it, it's, it they don't mm. it's not because it was an insignificant film it was a very significant film but it's gone mm. and availability is a big part of it it's just not shown a lot it's not talked about a lot um but beyond that i do think there are other reasons and i think sometimes it's the reasons why things are cease to be available is because they're what's what I'm looking for here. They're they a lot of them are generic. There's a lot of generic movies that regardless oh, yeah. of regardless of movies that were hits. Think about movies that seemed like they were going to be hits. Think about there's a movie I think about a lot actually. Um, I want to make sure I get the the right. cast right or the director right. Uh, the movie City Hall. Oh yeah, I remember. City 1996 Hall. City Hall. This big. Hmm. Uh, uh, High, uh, uh, it's a big prestige picture. Big prestige yeah. thing. It's I'm, it's getting late and I, my words are failing me. Uh, it's a big prestige picture uh, from director uh, Harold Becker, who did Sea of Love and did Malice. It was not an insignificant film. He did Taps, The Onion Field, um, but uh, and it starred Al Pacino, John Cusack, Danny Aiello, Martin Landau, Richard Schiff. Mm-hmm. Bridget Fonda, David Paymer, like like this good, solid, impressive cast. It was co-written by Paul Schrader. You ever heard mm-hmm. of it? I, I saw it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. We need to work so this uh, our city, so, this city can be a palace again. Wow. Yeah. Okay. You remember the trailer? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. But that's the thing. Like, it's just, it didn't do anything... That made a splash. It didn't. Well, it the, never felt like an event. It yeah. felt like uh, 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 just this sort of uh, uh, slapdash attempt at respectability, and then it just went on its way. It mm. didn't like become a story. Yeah, and I think that's a big part of it. The movies that we remember, the movies that we still write think pieces about, are movies that themselves feel like an event, feel like a story, feel well, like a happening. Um, and I think that's a big part of it. And I think another big part of it is the films that we tend to 
talk about a lot and revisit a lot are ones that still fall in line with our current interests. Uh, if we are interested in a certain genre, we're going to be delving back in that yeah. genre. Yeah. Because we're not making a lot of disaster movies now, we're not yeah. going to talk about the disaster movies of the past. That's a fair point. Uh, because we're focused on a lot of uh, like sort of fantasy and effects-driven movies now as blockbusters. Those are the biggest entertainments right now. We tend to look back on the past and remember just the effects-driven blockbusters. As such, you ask anybody what the best films of the 1980s were, they're all going to be effects-driven blockbusters. Those are the ones that are most commonly mentioned. You occasionally like, get someone an Amadeus in there, but like a lot of Occasionally, yeah. But, like Gremlins, Ghostbusters, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. When was the last yeah. time somebody mentioned Out of Africa, or yeah. and Her Sisters, or Fitzcarraldo, you yeah. know, these these films that... People will say, Top Gun! Top Gun turns 35 this year! Top Gun is a piece of shit. Uh, huh. yeah. I think it might be a slight exaggeration, but okay, it's not that great. Top Gun is not good, I'll just say yeah, that. It's, uh, it's I, thinly disguised pro-military propaganda super pro-military and that's, propaganda. that's not in and of itself the worst thing ever but that's kind of all it is that's my point it's a shallow yeah um it's, uh but yeah the planes film, are sex that's that's the metaphor it's the, <laughs> they're, they're all they, sex they're, they're all having flying wieners up in just, the sky just, uh, yeah they grab and they make and instead of sounding like planes actually sound they like put like the growls of like jungle cats mm. just so that it would sound more like <laughs> virile and masculine <laughs> thanks and, tony scott yeah uh, so, so yeah, because I'm not saying it doesn't work. Um, I'm just saying I don't think it's good. So nostalgia and things that fall in line with what we're currently interested in are the films that are going to be remembered most vividly. That's a good point. Whereas great films that belong to genres we're not familiar with anymore, or that our parents were watching when we were young, yeah. are the films that aren't going to get as much uh, attention. Yeah. Uh, however great they might be. Yeah. And however big hits they were. I mean, we don't really talk about something like Three Men and a Baby or a lot of the big comedies of the 1980s. Three Men and a Baby was a comedies monster. Are, comedies aren't big money right now. Three Men and a Baby outgrossed yeah. gigantic motion. It, Three Men and a Baby the, outgrossed Who Framed Roger Rabbit. It was the highest grossing film of that year. Yeah. And, uh, it was there was eight, 87 or 88 that movie yeah. came out. And, that was, and a, uh, that was a good year for cinema, too. Yeah, there Holy was also uh, you know, films like Look Who's Talking and Crocodile Dundee. Yeah. These were like uh, Coming to America, even. They, they re- well, that, they that, one, sequel, that one has but, a bit more of a, a culture. Yeah. Actually, I think Eddie Murphy helps with that. Uh, yeah, like, I guess yeah. you're right. But, um, yeah. Because yeah, Eddie Murphy didn't go anywhere. Com- Eddie Murphy comedies, still, comedies used yeah. to be huge business, but because we're not making comedies now, or at least when we do, they're really sort of understated comedies mm-hmm. or indie comedies. Uh, they're not the things that are making the huge amount of money. We don't tend to think of those comedy films as the best of all time, do we? Yeah. So those ones have faded a little bit in in estimation. And yeah. depending on how trends are going to change in the present is going to directly affect the kind of films we talk about from the past. Yeah. So really the, the, big, the big things here are availability is a huge mm. part of it. Uh, are, is contemporary cinema pointing people backwards in that direction? Not necessarily. And uh, sometimes they're just not that remarkable. That's just, that's just that's just that's just a fact. Just because they're a movie's just, old, just because a movie has a good cast, just because it made actually, a lot of money when it was, when it opened, and whether yeah. or not it made a lot of money, sometimes it's just not as good as all that. Like if mm. you watch Turner Classic movies twenty four hours a day, like I used to, uh, but back when I had time, uh, you realize that just because a movie's old doesn't necessarily make it a classic. Sometimes it's just old. Hmm. <laughs> uh, doesn't mean it's not interesting. Doesn't mean it's not like you can learn a lot from it. Doesn't mean it isn't necessarily fun. But yeah, not every movie from the 1940s is It's a Wonderful Life or the Best Years of Our Lives. Sometimes they're crap. And that's they're, true they're, for anything. It's true always, for any art form. They've always made crap. It's, it's, there's, every bookstore is full of crap. 
every music mm. uh, store or delivery service or whatever you mm. use is full of crap. Mm. Every movie, every video store, every streaming service mm. is full of crap. Like I, that doesn't mean it's all bad crap. Doesn't mean it's not worth watching. But let's be honest here. Some, some, some of it, there's some a reason. Of it's not worth watching. There's, there's, there's the hundreds, if not thousands, of movies that are released every single year. They're not all going to get remembered. Mm. They're not all going to last. Sometimes they'll be remembered for a short while, and then a few decades later, yeah. they'll evaporate. Yeah. There will come a day, maybe not soon, but there will come a day when Star Wars is obscure. Yeah, yeah. It's well, going to happen. Not in, they, probably if, not. If they, maybe not in our lifetimes. If they stop, but it'll make, happen. They stop making new movies. Yeah, and they stop. Uh, you know, if websites stop writing about them. Yeah. It'll become this. This and they stop weird, making money. Boom, yeah. done. And if our interests move away from science fiction adventure movies, yeah. which can happen, I'm not yeah. going to say that these things are permanent. Yeah. Just because they've been a part of our conversation for you know all of our lifetimes doesn't mean they're going to continue that way. Yeah. Uh, same with same with the Avengers movies. Yeah. They will be obscure someday. Like tar- like tar like Tarzan used yeah. to be a gigantic motion picture uh, series of blockbusters. Used to be a popular character. Not a lot of Tarzan out there. Yeah. He's, he's he's fading. Yeah. Oh, here it will it, happen. Here it is. I found it. Um, and somebody once put together a, like a, a graph. I'll show it to William here. This mm. is it's a graph of uh, just what's mm. available on like the biggest streaming services. Yeah, like from what era? Decade by decade, and you'll find that most of them are like the 2010s are most very well like, represented, highly yeah. represented. And the further back in time you go, the smaller and smaller the slivers get. So yeah. by the time you get to before 1970, any film before 1970. This is that's the de- this is decades of film. That's, that's the majority of the history yeah. of film. Uh, not like it only represents like a teeny tiny slivers yeah. of what's available on on streaming services. Uh, Disney Plus has the biggest slice of the main streaming services, and that's just because they continue to market their animated films from like the forties and fifties. Yeah, and some of the live action stuff too. Mm. Uh, but yeah, that's mm. fair enough. But anyway, uh, that's a, thank you for the good question. I uh, hope we answered it somewhat effectively. Uh, we we record these quite late, and sometimes I'm just like, you know what? I'm tired. I don't know. I don't know if I'm even coherent sometimes until I listen to the podcast the next morning. Uh, so uh, I hope I hope we answered that one well. And thank you everybody for writing in. If you want to write in for a future episode of We've Got Mail, uh, you can write to us at letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Once again, that is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. We would love to hear from you. Uh, feel free to ask us questions, send us recommendations. If you want to answer some of the questions that have been asked on this uh, episode, especially the ones that we weren't able to figure out, uh, please send those along and we'll try to boost that. We'll talk about that in next episode or episode after, whenever we get them. Um, you're also uh, welcome to follow us on Twitter. We are at Critic Acclaim. Uh, I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. If you want to go over to patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network, you'll get a lot of exclusive shows, including uh, if you want to look back uh, at the uh, critically acclaimed streaming club that is still available, uh, you got to search for it because it's like way back like in our listings, but it's there and you can hear us do that Lonesome Dove miniseries or mm-hmm. uh, a lot of other uh, TV movies. But uh, we currently have shows about every single episode of the 1960s Batman. Uh, every single episode of Star Trek, every single film ever nominated for Best Picture. We're doing commentary tracks, uh, films that should be on Disney Plus but mysteriously are not. Uh, a lot of stuff. Yeah. And uh, we we thank every single one of our patrons without whom uh, we wouldn't be doing this. This would not be possible. So thank you, every single one of you in particular. And if you can't afford to be a patron and you want to help out the show, please subscribe if you haven't already. Uh, leave a review 
wherever you find us. That really helps a lot. There's a star rating, even as a sentence. Uh, be honest. We wouldn't <laughs> tell you otherwise. Um, but just, just that level of engagement like really, really helps us like go up in the algorithms and find new listeners, and that helps us out a lot. Um, and um, yeah. Mm, that's that's, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, head on over to Etsy.com. Look for Salt Cat Soap, all one word. You can see uh, a selection of fine handcrafted soaps uh, by my wife and partner, M. Lapis da Silva, and myself. Uh, M. Lapis da Silva also has a novel uh, called Hooker, uh, which is a, a retro wave uh, vigilante slasher uh, thriller novel. Uh, it's uh, feminist, pro sex work, pro queer, uh, very subversive to a variety of genres and the reviews have been excellent. So you can find that novel wherever fine books are sold. Uh, if they don't have it requested, they'll order it for you. Um, and um, yeah, that's so it. Support your local bookstore. Support your local bookstore. Support your, uh, support your local artisans. And uh, that's it. Thank you very much once again. Sincerely yours, Bibbs and Whitney. Crime solvers. <laughs> 